Hey, what's going on, everybody? Thanks for checking into another episode of Lockdown Connect. For this one, I got to sit down with my uncle, Andy Creed. You may have heard him on Talk Shop with a Cop on Bob FM on the radio. Maybe he helped you uh, find the guy that broke into your car last summer, or maybe he's arrested you at some point. Uh, he's been in the part of the Lafayette's police force longer than I've been alive. He has a super interesting perspective on life and people, and it's always a good time talking to him. It's pretty hard to be a police officer in general and in any part of the country right now, so I really hope conversations like this help build back that bridge between civilians and police. So uh, I really appreciate it, and thanks again for listening. Welcome back to another episode of Lafayette Connect. I'm sitting here with my favorite uncle, and I'll say that on the air. I'll say wow. favorite uncle, yeah. <laughs> but uh, sitting here with my uncle, Andy Cree. I'll let you give your backstory. <laughs> Just on uh, who I am, and yeah, I was get, well. I was going to introduce you and say that yeah. you're the, but I don't know your exact job title. Yeah. Okay. Um, I am in a position at the sheriff's office, Tiffany County Sheriff's Office, where um, on paper. I am the administrative sergeant of administrative services. Um, I'm also the training coordinator. So I'm in one of those positions now that does a lot of administrative work, a lot of training of new people, a lot of uh, um, involvement in the hiring process. So it's kind of a uh, collection of several duties that I really enjoy now after, uh, well, it'll be 25 years in law enforcement, July 1st. So after 25 years, I enjoy uh, a position where I can kind of guide the future of the department. You started the police force when you were 19 or 18? No, uh, I was 23. Oh, 23. Yeah, I was 23. Still. It was 1996. Yeah, the year I was born. There you go, <laughs> man. <laughs> That's right. I'm about to be 25. I yeah. It sucks to hear, but but yeah, cool. Congrats. 25 years. That's a, that's a lifetime. Right it there. seems like it. Yeah. <laughs> so you've seen Lafayette in the good and the bad and everything in between then. So. so yeah, in law enforcement, you see... Um, you know, you do see a lot of good. You do see the negative side of just society because of the nature of law enforcement. Um, so we um, experienced a lot of different things, um, anywhere from tragic accidents to uh, suicides, to murders, to domestic violence, to child abuse. And that's not what the general public sees every day, unless they've had an issue uh, pertaining to that in their family. So you know, looking back over 25 years, it is a thing where uh, you think, man, there's a lot of bad out there, but there's a lot of good. The majority of society is still good, and that's a good thing. That's pretty cool to hear. Um, for one, I was going to ask, how do, how do you cope with that? With How does every cop deal with that? I mean, I'm sure there's therapy and things you can do, but at the end of the day, your brain's not wired to see the tragedies and stuff that you, that you go through. Um what is what's your advice for that and to still at the end of it say that and i believe this too that overall human beings are generally good i find there's a little bit of good in everybody you could probably argue that with the people you've met and dealt with but um i think that's pretty cool but yeah how do you how do you handle that well i'll I'll divide this in half i want to talk about people Um, our jail is full of people that are decent respectful respectable, honorable people that have made uh, just some bad choices. So I can think of a lot of people through the years that either I've arrested or I've seen in our jail or been trustees that I've gotten to know um, that I can say are good people that just through uh, maybe circumstance, maybe uh, they had a financial issue and that led into no insurance on a vehicle, which led to a suspended license, which led to multiple suspended license uh, arrest. Now they uh, have to serve some time 
all the way to people that maybe uh, got into drugs early in life and are heroin addicted and now serving time. So there's a lot of good, honorable people that are just in bad situations. So I think even if you look at people, you think, oh, man, we've arrested this guy since he was 16 years old. But they're still, you know, if you look hard enough, something redeemable about everybody. So I do agree with you on that. But as far as the mental health aspect, when I first started, nobody talked about uh, mental health. You just get through it, toughen up. And, uh, you know, as the years go on, um, especially today's uh, forefront of uh, military mental health, you hear a lot about post-traumatic stress disorder. And police officers develop that over a career. It may not be a deployment like a military officer, uh, but police officers, firefighters, EMT, even medical staff in the emergency rooms can develop this over a long period of time. And it's just, uh, you know, the stress and the uh, chemicals we pump through our bodies that, you know, adrenaline and cortisol and stuff that uh, just after a while really does you no good mentally. Um, and physically. So what we do now, myself and another gentleman that's a part of training new officers, is we make them read a book. Um, There's a book that um, I'm drawing a blank on the name. I'll think of it here in a minute, but it is a mental health related book. Um, Emotional Survival for Law Enforcement. That was the name of it. Um, That helps new officers realize, here's where I'll be in 20, 25 years. And it's kind of catalogs how the evolution of a police officer goes in your thinking, your experiences, things you deal with uh, mentally. And now we recognize this. We have mental health professionals that we uh, keep in contact with. There's a, uh, a group that has started um, Sixth Alarm is the name of it for anybody in emergency services can contact them. It's kind of a peer mentorship that also can get you to medical professionals and therapists. So we've kind of taken the stigma off of it to say you will deal with tragic things. You will have a dead infant in your hand at some point in time. You will tell a parent their child has committed suicide. You will see, you know, potentially family or friends in situations like that. So you just can't walk around with that baggage and say, I'll be normal in 25 years. Yeah. But when you first started, that's, they didn't do anything at all for that. They just said, toughen it up. It's part of the job. I mean, it's, yeah. They just didn't talk about it, but you look uh-huh. at a police suicide rate is higher than the national average. Um, the, longevity of how long officers live after retirement is about five years. Now, I will say um, some of that factors, uh, some would have to factor into that because we will work, you know, maybe longer life, you know, just because we can't immediately retire and be jobless, you know. So there are older officers um, that go into bailiff or transport. So maybe our Maybe we're working a little longer on average. I'm not sure, but uh, plus it's part of your life too. It's hard to when you're being an officer of the law is it's one of those jobs where it really does take over your life and it's your entire lifestyle. It's hard. I imagine it's hard for someone to do that their whole life and then walk away and retire, whether they can or not. They still probably will always have that and um, to want to be a bailiff or whatever the next step is after that, I'd imagine. Yeah, and you can't shake um, the law enforcement experience. So, you know, I think now after 25 years, everywhere I go, I look at things differently. I'm a people watcher. Um, There's things that make me uncomfortable that my wife and kids think that that is just 
why do you think that way? Why do I always tell my kids, hey, the roads are bad, like last night where there was a little bit of ice last night? Oh, yeah. Because yeah. I know from experience the crashes and how sometimes something as simple as exceeding the speed limit a little bit will lead into a crash that was avoidable and people get hurt. So because of this experience, I think we're just hypersensitive and hypervigilant on all these factors of life. And I hope when I'm an older man, I can't say old because I'm getting older, but an older man that I can relax a little bit and not think like a cop. Yeah, I get that. But uh, that's a real interesting perspective. That, and in a lot of ways, I would think that would be more of a good thing. I mean, it's, it's probably a blessing and a curse because you are always thinking that extra step. Like you said, going a couple miles over the speed limit to some people wouldn't even think twice about it. But you sit there and you see all the wrecks and the potential danger of it. So, um, so in a lot of ways, I think it's good to be extra on edge like that, but I'm sure, yeah, it does probably cause some problems. I mean, yeah. And the stress of that, I mean, you're just carrying that stress every day, even when you're off. So you're off duty. Are you really off emotionally? Maybe you aren't switched off enough. Maybe there's not enough um, peace or relaxation in your life on your off duty times, you know? So it just, that all goes back into that uh, emotional survival for police officers that uh, you just have to recognize that and look back because, um, you know, it's not uncommon to have anxiety or, uh, you know, certain phobias and develop things like I won't go in the elevators anymore. Can I tell you why? No, I don't want to ride on a commercial aircraft. Can I tell you why? No. So I've developed wow. some things through the years. I just wonder if it's this amount of stress and just, uh, you know, where I've gotten, I think, in life from a career in law enforcement. I bet. I mean, I, that's weird. I've never heard that of developing phobias later in life. I always thought phobias came from when you're a kid, you know, and something happens. But that's strange. That I bet you're right. Whether it's the adrenaline pumping or something, huh? That's interesting, though. And nothing ever happened with elevators or commercial planes? No, I think some of it, um, and as you know, the listeners don't know, but my mm -hmm. wife's a therapist, so I get some free uh, therapy at home. And I think some of it is the lack of control. Um, not only maybe in my personal life, just how I'm wired, but in law enforcement, we try to control so much. You know, control safety at scenes, control the movement of people, you know, control uh, dangerous factors and stuff. And maybe that bleeds over into your normal life that if I can't control it, like I feel helpless in an elevator, I feel out of control on commercial. Oh, I, get that. I think it's a, a little bit of a link in the control part of my brain that says I have no control. You're over not this, in charge. It makes me uncomfortable. Huh? I get that. Weird, but yeah, it is, it is, it is. weird. Yeah. <laughs> what age did that start popping up? Um, I don't know, probably five, six, seven years ago. I started noticing things like that. Huh? Yeah, that would be so odd to to go your whole life, you know, elevators or elevators, and then one day you just get anxiety over it. So, yeah. Um, I also, I'm a firm believer that technology definitely causes i'm somehow lucky enough i've never had an anxiety attack a panic attack a lot of things i've never had suicidal thoughts or anything like that i'm very lucky but i see in my friends especially the younger generation just with the way tiktoks and facebook your attention span is getting screwed i think that is causing serious anxiety i have people that are 20 years old and can't find a job because they have panic attacks where they throw up so much i mean yeah um so I, I know there are studies behind it and stuff, and I'm a moron. I don't know enough about it. But uh, 
I'm sure being a cop plays into that, but also just the way with technology, the way it is, anxiety is through the roof like nobody's ever seen. So Yeah, and that's, uh, you know, social media has a good side. Uh, I know a lot of people that say, well, I keep track of friends from school or I keep track of extended family members and stuff. But overall, just I don't do Facebook. Uh, I did for a while when I was I had a little business going, but uh, once that was over, I got rid of Facebook. I don't do Instagram. I don't do any of those things. That's good. Do I miss it? I don't miss it. I don't feel the least bit out of touch or unplugged, but I don't have that stress of constantly going to the phone, measuring my life against other people's posts and success. And I wish I could say that. I got a friend that uh, he actually just switched to a, he deleted everything he had and got the flip phone. So I, well, I, I don't know if I'm ready for a move like that, but I, I do respect it. I that's mean, solid, uh, man. Yeah, I think just that social media has created, uh, and I'm going to go off on a limb. I'm not a psychiatrist. But well, you live with one. They, well, yeah, she is a therapist. So I'll <laughs> hold on to some of her uh, credentials here. But, I, you know, for me personally, when I was thumbing through Facebook and stuff, uh, when I had that business, um, or thumbing through the Internet on my phone, just, you know, absorbing stuff, I think some of it for me, and maybe for others, I don't know, but at least for me, was occupying my mind so I didn't sit and dwell on some of the things causing me issues. Oh, yeah. So I think it's just 100%. a pacification of our brain. Yeah. It depends on what you're using it for, too, because if you spend 15 minutes on YouTube learning something, then I would say that's well worth it rather than 15 minutes of watching videos to watch videos, you know? Yeah. Cat videos don't add much to your, uh, yeah. you know, they're entertaining, yes, but they aren't adding to your uh, yeah. experiences. And uh, and I know there's people that sit there and watch cat videos for hours and hours on end, and it's it's not good for your brain or body, sure, really. Um, so while we're on the subject of technology growing, I wanted, and I don't want to get too deep into this, but there is that with technology and the videos that are out there, we all know about the bad you only see the bad cop videos sure. pretty much you don't see the videos of all the good that police do and if they're out there they don't get the views like the one dirty cop does get yes. and that overall i think that kind of creates this it's creating a big tension between civilians and police officers um especially with my younger generation i mean you know you see f the police and sure. all cops are bad and whatnot how serious is that? Is that because I'm young, I'm 24. I haven't been around the block. Is this something that kind of comes with phases that's always been around? Or is this the worst that that's ever been? You know, maybe I'd say it's the worst only because we have constant media feeds. We have constant. Uh, it is Facebook. constant. I mean, there's always a post. There's always a news story. There's always something showing us this. So I think, um, it is just, we are just inundated with all this negativity because of it. And that is maybe fueling some of the uh, animosity towards police. Now, I'm going to say right off the bat that, uh, you know, there's a lot of police officers um, through the years that have made some horrible decisions. Some were just malicious. Some were uh, obviously crimes that got charged for stuff. Um, but I would like to say that if you go to a restaurant, and you get a horrible meal that makes you sick. You don't say all restaurants are horrible. Oh, yeah, no longer absolutely. going back. So I would like to say 
do not label all police because um, I can't remember the total number of police officers in the United States. Um, it's tens of thousands. And daily there are, there has to be hundreds of thousands, if not into the millions of interactions with law enforcement a day across the nation. And so many of them are positive. So many of them help people. Um, we're solving crimes for people. They may, uh, you know, find a lost child. They may get their stuff back from a burglary. Uh, they may be helped at a crash. So there's so much positive, but there is some negativity. And if we look at life itself, we are human. We can do good. We can do evil. No matter if you wear a UPS uniform, you're a chef, you're whatever, a doctor or a police officer, you know, so that's um, maybe some of it's the human condition. But I do think the positive side of this in law enforcement, that we are learning and doing better job of training people, of giving new officers, hey, this is a path that can lead to problems. We don't approach situations this way. We want to de-escalate. We want to treat people with respect. And... Uh, you know, hopefully we can fork some of that, uh, you know, negative behavior down the road. Well, you see a lot more of it than I do, but I, uh, I would say overall, a, I think Lafayette has a very good police department just from the few cops that I know. I, I love all of them and have only good experiences. And not only that, but you guys do catch the bad guy like 90% of the time, it seems. Um, and like I said, you see it more than I do, but I think Lafayette's not as bad as the rest of the country on our views of cops. I feel like Lafayette in general is for the police, where if you go to some cities right now, you have everybody and their uncle, you know, rioting. And hopefully have riots calmed down. Well, I mean, you know, um, there are yeah. some still going on, yeah. yeah, especially with the trial, the George Floyd murder uh, going on. Um, that spurred some things, it seems like, in the news. But I will say, um, we again, from media and from all the social feeds we have, we're only going to see the negative. So when we look at an area like Minneapolis, um, where George Floyd was murdered, um, and we look at all the stuff on the news, and it seems like everybody's mad at cops. Well, there could be a thousand people that they're showing, you know, from a camera view, potentially. There could be tens of thousands of people out there still in support of the police. We don't see them. So um, it does seem like areas are, uh, you know, have a lot of distrust maybe and, you know, some animosity for the police. But I don't think it's the overwhelming um, opinion. And especially we hear that back at the sheriff's office. Um, a lot of uh, letters and cards come in, people showing support. So. Oh, that's good to hear. I, I was thinking specifically in that crazy, crazy week last year when uh, people were breaking into Best Buy, you know, there was the BLM protest that were fairly, you know, I won't try to stay politically correct, but they went all right. And then it turned into chaos at night. But uh, during all that, it seemed like everybody was on the same page. Nobody wanted to see Lafayette get torn up like that. Everyone was, to me, it seemed like everyone was on the police's side and uh, whereas in other cities, I don't think that was the case. I think so. I, I was happy to see that Lafayette still has its morals for the most part. I mean, um, it's definitely a scary, weird time. I wanted to ask how, what were your thoughts going on in that? I was terrified. I really was. I mean, uh, especially when they there was a thing on Facebook saying that uh, people were going around breaking into different neighborhoods. I'm sure you got sure. that call. And, yes. Uh, 
What were your thoughts on that? You know, I'm a strict constitutionalist, so I am fully in support of people's right to assemble, right to protest, right to uh, get their views across, right to uh, talk with their congressmen and senators to say, hey, this is what I support, what I don't support. So I, I just, you know, want to put it out there, I guess I'm fully in support of that uh, part of our Constitution. But you don't have the right to then damage property. Right. You don't have the right to hurt people or intimidate people. And you have to keep some order to it. So when um, those protests first started, there was a lot of good people that were protesting, were getting their voices heard. And that's that's our American way right there. So unfortunately, as the uh, time got on, there were people that were there that may not have had any interest in letting their voice be heard or actually, you know, uh, protesting civilly. They saw that opportunity. They saw the opportunity to uh, maybe create a little mayhem and uh, see an opportunity to maybe break into a store. And that is not, that's just not acceptable. That's not the American way. It, it takes away from the uh, meaning of the protest. So I just hated to see that part. Oh, it was terrifying. Did you see the, uh, the Best Buy video? Yes. Yeah, that's a... I really like. I don't know if we'll even put that on there, but uh, I I was sitting at home and I had the Facebook live stream up, and the cool thing this is the first time I've ever this was kind of eye opening me the way technology was. But as everything was going on, since everybody had their phone out, no matter where they were, someone had linked it all together, so you could sit there and click. So I could sit there at home, and I'm downtown by the. Uh, courthouse or oh hey best buy is getting broken into so i was watching the best buy one live and uh there was one cop there um and he kind of sat back and i remember my heart dropped and i said there's nothing that guy can do yeah. i mean this is just insanity and then in a matter of seconds they break in everybody's rushing in and then like five or six cop cars come out of nowhere surround i mean they just handled it like i mean i remember watching that going whoa that that went from Oh my God, what is happening to, I mean, they just handled it. So that's a scary time. Yeah, it was. I'll never forget that. I mean, just sitting there in my house is watching that from one part of the all around Lafayette as chaos was going on. So and what we have to remember uh, when these things uh, do uh, become a negative and there's damaged property, these things that are being damaged are owned by Lafayette residents. Yeah. Uh, normal Americans that are trying to create a business for themselves to feed their families and stuff. And um, I can understand the uh, feelings towards maybe the government or, uh, you know, law enforcement, but let's not hurt each other. Just yeah, getting our voices heard. Those businesses, that was in the height of COVID. I mean, a lot yes. of them were just either just starting up or still not even opened up sure. yet. So um, I don't know how bad was the damage downtown? Was there a lot or, there's some of the court has some other uh, damage around uh, the main square around Lafayette, uh, or I'm sorry, the Timothy County Courthouse. So it uh, could have been worse. And again, I, you know, I applaud the people that were there that um, were peaceful, were demonstrating, who uh, were trying to keep some of the uh, bad behavior down because they were asking people not to, uh, you know, get too agitated or do anything uh, that would. Uh, upset what was a largely a peaceful protest and still some of the uh, bad behavior broke out later so just takes away from the message yeah it for sure does the one thing i think people may overlook is a group that was 
was incredibly offended about the uh, George Floyd incident. Um, of course, the trial is going on now, but a group that people may not realize that were standing on the side of you know society and the community, I guess, and not in support at all of that officer's actions is your law enforcement community. I don't know of a single officer that condoned that or who wasn't mad or a little bit maybe sick to their stomach over the actions of an officer. So That's why I was confused about the whole thing when it happened a year ago. Because um, I saw that video and it broke my heart like everybody else. I mean, I almost cried over it. Um, but my that was kind of my thought too was, why is this the video that makes people hate cops? Because no cop, there's there, it's not... I didn't hear anybody standing up for that officer. I mean, cop or any person in general. So I, I didn't really understand why that was the video that made people think, oh, all cops are bad. Look at this one. It wasn't a very gray area. I mean, it was pretty black and white. That guy is on a whole nother level of evil. I mean, he that was just some weird. Mm-hmm. I don't see that in people a lot, that dark. But yeah. Yeah, Of course, they could have made a series of different uh, decisions, you know, uh, Maybe a different outcome, you know, but the thing we learned from that in law enforcement is uh, we try to train our new officers and our officers that have maybe had 20 years on to look at these situations. And sometimes I'm not talking about George Floyd incident, uh, but just situations in general that are tense, rapid uh, or uncertain and rapidly evolving to still got to mentally process through this and evaluate things. And we uh, hit a lot on de-escalation. And as a supervisor, when I was working patrol as a supervisor and you arrive on a scene, one of the things you need to keep in mind is, you know, what are the officers doing at this point in time? Are we medically treating this person that may have been injured even though they're in custody? Do we need to reposition them because they're having a hard time breathing or, you know, just, you know, yeah, take the way they are. They've got pain because of how they're uh, placed on the ground or something. And to alleviate some of that, um, and again, under stress and with rapidly evolving situations, it's not an easy thing, but that's where training and experience comes in. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, the crime rate in Lafayette, would you say that it is worse or better than what it used to be in, let's say, even five years? Would you say COVID has caused Lafayette's crime rate to go up or has things kind of stayed? Yeah, I don't know if COVID's been a catalyst for any increase in crime. We've been uh, pretty lucky. I, I think so. Yeah, we haven't been shut down to the extent as a lot of other places. So there's a lot of diversification in industry and stuff here in Lafayette. There's a lot of job opportunities. Uh, There's a lot of people, of course, that are hurting. And I don't want to minimize that, but at the same time, there are a lot of options and avenues here to keep our economy and our community a little bit more level than some other areas. But if I look over 25 years and say, has crime gotten worse? Um, I couldn't sit here and give you a statistic that says, yes, we're 25 percent uh, higher in crime than we were 25 years ago. But also, I, Lafayette's growing so fast. It does. At the same time. So it's, and growth just statistically will increase the percentage of arrests and stuff. But I think what we see now is probably a higher level of crime on average, where it may have been a misdemeanor, D felonies back in the day. Um, felonies are now level six, one through six. So uh, they've just changed the name of them and added a couple different uh, tiers to it. But we used to maybe see a lot of a misdemeanors and some D felonies. Um, but now I think that's creeped up a little bit. And I think our amount of level one, level two felonies yeah, I'm and stuff is higher. A lot of murders and stuff lately too i don't know what's going on with all that and the heroin possession um you know of course methamphetamine 
Um, exactly. Know, pretty bad in Lafayette. I don't know a lot of it. I, but is there a lot of heroin in Lafayette? The heroin's, uh, you know, has been a problem for several years. Um, you know, so that's been a big change maybe in some of the level of crimes, you know, when people get arrested because, you know, marijuana, a misdemeanor with the uh, enhancements and stuff for uh, the level of crimes or some of the drug charges gets higher. So um, unfortunately, I think maybe if our numbers of arrests haven't exceeded the normal increase with population, maybe the level of charge has increased a little Yeah, I, I see that. Huh. So with, with marijuana, uh, we're surrounded by states that have it legal. Yes. Now, that's got to change everything. I, I know people are selling weed more than they've ever sold before. Yeah. Um, it's so easy to just go an hour away and get some. How does Lafayette, the law hasn't changed, but have officers kind of looked at it differently? Is it getting watered down to a great subject or is it still pretty black and white laws law? Yeah. When you uh, encounter somebody that's in uh, possession of marijuana, you know, we still need to make that arrest and, and, make that arrest and then forward the paperwork to the prosecutor. Now, back when I first started, over 30 grams was a D felony, which would be a level six felony now. Oh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> now it's not. I can't remember. It's in pounds to cut off now Whoa. for an enhancement. So um, the lower level marijuana possession is still an Amos mirror and will give you a ticket and release you at the scene. It used to be we'd jail you. Can you still be jailed for possession of marijuana? Sure. We book you in and uh, book you out on that ticket, get a photograph and fingerprints. And stuff right. you. But uh, has it become more accepted by law enforcement? That I don't know because um, I've been off patrol for a year and a couple months now in this new position. And even when I was on patrol, um, we still affected an arrest for somebody in possession of marijuana. So with the other states legalizing it, and the increase in sales. That was something I think Colorado was one of the first states to legalize it. Yeah. What they noticed was um, illegal sales increased. Why? Because when the state controls the legal marijuana sales and tax it, you can get maybe cheaper from somebody that's not selling it legally and not having to pay the state tax and stuff. So um, they did see an increase that they attribute to possibly that. So we will probably see the same thing. So I don't know what it'll end up being if it gets legalized or when it will be in Indiana. I know. I, that's the thing. Cause I know Indiana will probably drag its feet as long as they can. But, um, but do you see a lot more of it with all the different, the edibles, the, People have it in vape pens now. I mean, they have it in every single type of form. They have it in cookies. They have pancakes. Sure. Um, have you? I mean, you're not out and on patrol, like you said. But yeah. um, marijuana is just very common, so uh, it's not uncommon, uh, you know, to arrest somebody for drinking and driving. Find marijuana. Off. It's not uncommon to maybe make a, a warrant arrest. You know, somebody failed to show to court, uh, you know, for a previous arrest, and we serve a warrant on that person that they're in possession of marijuana. So marijuana is a very common arrest to make. Mm -hmm. um, so is any more than it used to be? Yeah, possibly. Probably, yeah. You know, so it's just more common. But, uh, you know, I'd like to do the public service announcement for all the young kids out there and just say, hey, steer clear of it, because I think uh, we could go on forever about some of this stuff. But uh, I think we have some men and women in our jail that said, hey, I wish I never got started because it led me down to take I have mixed feelings about weed. And one thing important for people to realize is, you know, and I've heard it through the years of, well, I'd rather somebody be high than drunk and driving. And that's absolutely, we've arrested many of people, myself and other officers um, that are impaired 
that will fail field tests and then test positive on a blood test for marijuana in their system. We've had fatalities happen because somebody is under the influence of marijuana. So, um, you know, when people make that statement of, you know, I'd rather have somebody high than drunk, it, it's a wash in the end. It definitely impairs your driving. But if you drink too much coffee, it affects your body. I mean, weed's the same way. You definitely are. Well, you drink too much coffee, you may speed, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, the guns and ammo situation in Lafayette, things are in, I guess, most places. But it's pretty crazy right now. It seems like uh, everybody, people who didn't own guns last year definitely have a gun now. You can't. Ammo is like 30% more than it usually is. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, again, uh, back to the uh, Constitution, uh, my thoughts personally, uh, I support Second Amendment, and I'm glad legal citizens uh, can exercise the right to own a firearm, and uh, you know, I'm fully in support of that. Um, we have now a new law that went through the state house uh, for doing away with the permit and stuff. Yeah, um, yeah that's right. So, you know, it's a very pro-gun state, and there's a lot of... Uh, positives to that. Have I seen or heard from anybody on the street an increase in people who are either prohibited from possessing a firearm and then caught with it or committing another crime like, you know, the sale of drugs with the firearm? I don't know uh, if those enhancements to crimes has increased uh, because of that. But I wouldn't think, I mean, I'm sure it probably does a little bit, but I think for the most part, it's just people that are scared and just didn't have a gun before and that yeah, and that's what's fueling the buying and stuff. Um, so I'm all for the legal side of it, but I don't think the increase in the legal side has ever has affected the crimes that people commit. Because yeah, when okay. people commit uh, crimes with a firearm who are prohibited from owning one, they get it from stealing out of cars, breaking into homes, buying it illegally, uh, from not from a gun shop or anything like that, but buying it illegally from somebody else that may have stole it. So... But, yeah, it's right now that I think society, we see all the riots that go on. People get afraid of that. People uh, may see a change in political parties, may get afraid of that, may think. Because uh, there is some talk uh, federally right now that there may be some gun legislation coming. So people then buy and yeah. import ammo. It's just like a perfect storm. Sure. It's all these things wrapped up into one. I mean, it's uh, yeah, and but it's hard for uh, people to find certain guns and especially ammo i mean uh rule king and uh four guns i know were really struggling to keep the shelves stocked i mean they as soon as their truck would come in there'd be people there waiting empty it all out and then you have to wait till next thursday or whatever sure. it was i mean it was i think it's calmed down a little bit i haven't been down there in a while but it was pretty pretty crazy yeah uh lafayette the police department did a, a lot last year to kind of help build that connection with people um like, I'm not 100% sure what all they did, but I know they gave out $100 bills to people. They just pulled people randomly and gave out $100 bills. Like traffic stops? And yeah. Hundred, man, I wish they had stopped me. I know. Yeah, I wish they did me too. I'd have been speeding past the uh, police department, maybe, <laughs> trying to get stopped. Yeah, but they would uh, – I don't know if they would actually do it for traffic instance or if they would just pull people over randomly. I'm not sure. But, yeah, they were giving out $100 bills with a letter saying that this is from the police department. So you didn't know yeah, about that? Interesting. No, I didn't hear about that. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was yeah. around uh, Christmas of 2020. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So kind of a Christmas gift. For yeah. But I was wondering if they, did a, if they did that to kind of help 
help people in the COVID situation? Or Probably that just a, and just a bridge gap between police and uh, the community. The one thing, um, if I could sum up what's causing a lot of the divide between law enforcement and maybe the community, a lot of it's just lack of understanding and knowledge. Um, and what I mean by that is when you see stuff on TV or you are stopped or pulled over and the police do certain things, there's reasons for most of that. If you don't understand, you may make assumptions, uh, may think they're doing something wrong, may think, hey, it's because, you know, of my race or it's because, you know, I got a junkie car and I'm in a nice area or some other factor when there's a lot of things that go into it. If people understood why law enforcement does some of the things, we could bridge that gap. You know? Yeah, so, people, they don't. I mean, I've known you my whole life, but it probably would help if more people knew and became closer to police officers and got to learn them more outside of the uniform. Because um, I think also a lot of people kind of look at police officers as uh, almost like guards to a castle, or I don't know how to, how to describe it, but they look at it as more of a job and less of the person doing the job. But I don't understand the all cops are bad mentality. I, I just don't. I don't understand a lot of people's mentalities. So, when there's emotion involved and people are hurt um, because of some of these things you see on TV, um, you have that feeling it, and that's understandable. You also have um, just a maybe a segment of society that has a little bit of a problem with authority in general. Um, that they're always suspect, maybe of government and authority. So you kind of mix all this together, that maybe lack of understanding some of the things we do. I think that all makes kind of a perfect storm. But there was a gentleman, I can't remember his name. He is an activist and he's been very uh, involved with some of these uh, protests in the last several years. Chuck Bronson? No, it's you know uh, not in the States. Um, gentleman doing things nationally. I can't remember his name, but I watched the uh, videos, a news piece on him, and I give him all the credit in the world. Maricopa County Sheriff's Office asked him, would you like to go through some use of force training? And he said, I would love to. So he participated in training uh-huh. where it was, um, he was in scenarios where there was a bad guy and it was an officer course in a protective suit. Uh, they were shooting munitions, was kind of a, a fancy, or a lack of a better term, a rubber bullet type thing. And these were situations really that were stressful and quick moving. And through the scenarios, he shot the bad guy who was unarmed. Um, he was quick to use force. And he said at the end that he didn't realize how hard it was to make decisions under that kind of stress oh, yeah. and that police officers have to deal with that. So that does not justify malicious wrong actions by any officer, but it does help to understand how some of these dynamic dangerous situations go the way they do, because we start to push the limits of the human ability to perceive, to process, and then to act. Yeah. We're all, we're all just humans. I mean, it's a, when a life in death situation, luckily I haven't been in, too many, but in a life or death situation, a lot of times I know that I personally just freeze. I mean, I uh, you don't always have that extra second to think. I mean, every it could be do or die. Well, if you look at like boxers, here's somebody that trains um, to not get punched in the face when they can do something about it. So somebody punches at them and they slip a punch and it misses them. Where the rest of us can't process it quick enough, and without training, we say. 
I'm going to do something that the body has no reference, no experience in, and you get punched right in the face, unfortunately. So it's just through training, you hope you can condition yourself to act a certain way, to respond a certain way. But under great amounts of stress, it's it's hard. Fine motor skills go out the window. The ability to think through the situation kind of diminishes you have audio exclusion, which means you don't hear everything, you don't see everything. So we are reaching in some of these situations the limit of the human ability. Yeah. So um, I was going to ask, where do you, uh, what do you think the answer is for that? Is that just the way things are and will be, or what what can be done to better that to make less life threatening situations? Because that's kind of the way I see it, is that it's. A cop is a hell of a job to do. I respect anybody that can do it, but it's not what the human body was meant for. It's not good for, it's almost not fair for a cop to be, and it's a hell of a sacrifice. It really is to be one. Um, so what, is there anything that can be done for that to be, to be safer or what? Unfortunately, the problem with that is we don't control we can control our response to a dangerous situation. We can't control the onset of that dangerous situation. Everything a law enforcement officer does for the most part, especially in response to some kind of dangerous situation where we apply force, is reactionary. We can't go, I just had a, you know, thought in my mind you're going to commit a crime and hurt somebody, so I'm going to arrest you. You know, right. we can't do that ahead of time. So we have to wait until a crime is committed, of course, or, uh, you know, an officer may uh, be attacked or punched, kicked, whatever it is. And then we respond to that. So we can't control that aspect of it. That's, you know, society and people that are causing those uh, issues have to control that. But our response to it is what we can try to do is better train people. We train more under stress. Uh, with force-on-force force stuff, like I was talking about, those little rubber bullets. Uh, yeah. You know, they're not necessarily rubber. they got a little bit of a uh, marking die in them that uh, you can see where you've been hit. And there's a pain uh, response to it. So it puts you under stress because you don't want to hit with one of them, right? <laughs> so we can hopefully inoculate our officers a little bit under these stressful situations um, and training to try to get them through it. But when you hear people say, we want our police to be... Um, better equipped to handle these situations. We want them trained more to handle these situations. We want all this stuff. That's what I was kind of wanting to fund you. Yeah. You can't do it all. Yeah. Okay. That's what I was going to say. Um, Cause that is what I hear a lot is that we need either defund the police or we need better training and stuff. But that's what I was kind of leaning towards is, are we doing the best we can with what we have right now? Like, or would training be more training be beneficial? Luckily in Lafayette, I know it's a real possibility where you're in life and death situations, but that's not very typical in Lafayette, is it? Or is it? Well, there's been a lot of officers um, injured by people. I've been injured by people. Oh. I've been on scenes where um, officers have shot and killed other people and had shots fired at us. Um, some intentionally, like I know the police are there, some were unintentional, like uh, they were just shooting rounds and we had to be there and they may not have known. Um, but either way, that's even scarier when they know scary. you're there. When they when they know you're there and they're shooting, then you know they're they're shooting to kill, and it's oof. I can't even imagine being in a situation like that. But a lot of this, stuff, you may read something in the paper that says this person was arrested for these things, and may not uh, be able to understand what the officers experienced there. Um, but what I will say, uh, good for the sheriff's office, so Sheriff Goldsmith. Um, 
does a good job. Uh, our budget and getting us training allows officers to have time to train. Um, there's constant department training and something going on. So the sheriff's done a good job with his administration to uh, keep our training flowing forward. The good thing that also uh, comes out of some of these bad situations is we look at that and go, how can we address that so our officers don't react the same way under a similar situation? So um, we try to take all these things, training dollars, training time, training uh, you know examples that we see and put it all together to help better train our officers. Well, off the air, you said you listened to uh, Jocko and his podcast. His big thing is... Uh that cops should be trained like 80% of their day, something like that. Do you agree with that or um, that seems excessive? He's but. coming from an environment. I love the guy. Yeah. Um, he is a man's man. and right, He's he, all over the place. One of the toughest guys probably yeah. walking around. Um, but I think the military environment he comes from where they do do so much workup training to their deployments and then constant training. It would be great if we had have a 12 hour shift, 80% of it to dedicate to training, but just due to call volume, shortage of officers on shifts, we could never do that. So a bulk of our training we go to in our off duty time, uh, we of course get paid uh, for that off duty training, right. but we have to, uh, we can't necessarily handle it all at shift level. So in a perfect world, uh, we could have 80 percent but there's just no logistical way i know that that's just something he says a lot and i've always thought like how how would that work in any city 80 percent 80 percent of all cops days we're just at the gym or doing training exercises like that um do you think there's going to be a huge shortage of cops compared to most years due to this 2020 i think so we're Uh, seeing that now and people applying some are the number of people coming out to uh the testings has gotten lower because when I uh, tested back in 96, there's probably 70 people or so at the testing. Now, if we can get 30, 35 people at the testing on average, that's about huh. what we're seeing now. So, And there's way more people here now, so that's that's kind of hard to hear. But we're still finding qualified people, and you know the sheriff's opinion is that if they are not qualified, we're not going to hire them just have to work through another hiring phase and uh, see if we can get qualified applicants. So um, we did hire eight new deputies when we did um, some testing over the summer. Cool. We have all eight that started late October, four at the academy, four on the street training. Um, They've had more training. I can't put a number to it. Uh, 10 weeks, 40 hours a week. There's 400 hours there right off the bat. Um, Plus they're getting patrol training, training in the jail. So, however many days they've worked now times eight to 12 hours a day they've had a lot of training which is far more than i got when i started in 96 it's just uh we have fortunately again to go back uh, to the sheriff's department chair goldsmith's opinion on how we should be trained and the importance of it we are able to start these training programs and increase the amount of training they get so they have been offered a lot as new officers but it is a very demanding thing Oh, yeah. It's a lifestyle. I mean, it's... Our last phase, we had five new officers. Three of them did not pass. Two of them hit the street as patrol officers. So um, if they, if a person, you know, for whatever reason, cannot pass all the different training requirements, then we're going to have to sit down and have a talk with the sheriff about that and see what we need to do. 
maybe make him a mall cop or something. Well, I mean, there's always, uh, you know, they can work in the jail. There's other avenues. There's still good people. There are still people that pass the background, um, but maybe law enforcement, because the demands on an officer now, with all the information coming through the computer, with all the information coming over the radio, um, everything you see around you while you're driving 80 mile an hour with your lights and siren, there's just so much. And I look at these new officers in training and we talk to them and look at their training records as they're being completed by the field training officers and look, and there's so many things like they forgot to arrive on scene over the computer. They didn't hear radio traffic. They positioned their car poorly. They did not hear information that a witness gave. It's because when they're new, they're trying to absorb all this. Yeah, there's so much going on. Their situational awareness is, is so limited at the time. So as you gain experience through training, you able, you're able to pick up all this stuff that when you're new, you're just overwhelmed by it. Well, there's that. And I also wanted to ask about the general fact that as the generations go on, People are just getting softer and softer and softer and softer. I mean, the people in 1996, those people going in to be a cop are probably a lot different than the people you see going in now. Is that a – and you're seeing a lot less women. I, I see that with different trades. Um, even when I was doing construction, um, when I was working construction, I thought about that a lot. Like, I can't name 20 of my friends that would come out here and do this stuff. I mean, people are just soft. They don't – mentally and physically – um, so yeah, what, uh, I don't really know what question I was phrasing with that. I'm just yeah. kind of rambling, but what do you, I know the direction you're going in and it's interesting, um, because, you know, I love world war II history and it seems like that's when men yeah. and the country's behind them. And, uh, there were strong women working in the factories, building tanks and stuff. And the whole country was uh, galvanized behind one effort. And you think, man, you know, they call that the last you know, or the greatest generation, I guess. Yeah. So, I mean, you think, man, that's back when men are men and we're getting, you know, softer through the years. But, you know, the first thing I thought of was Lieutenant Dave Grossman um, has a book called On Killing that's been out for years. And the one thing he uh, looked at was through um, various wars, up through the Civil War, all the way up through at the time, uh, I think Vietnam may have been the last one he covered um, in his book as of when it came out. But he looked that back in the Civil War, people had a hard time shooting another person, that they found muskets in battlefields with seven, eight, nine, ten musket balls in it because people psychologically thought, as long as I'm loading this weapon, I'm contributing. They would fire shots over people's heads. So the actual shot to target ratio was very poor. And they started looking at it militarily because they noticed through World War One, World War Two, that their amount of ammo expended to the amount of people shot was just bad. And they realized it was a psychological thing. Now that's gone far in the other direction where people are a little bit, uh, maybe it's training, maybe it's the societal factors with what's on TV, all this stuff. I don't know. But so that direction's increased where we're maybe more apt to harm somebody. Jumping in to be a cop is one thing, but I bet the military is the same way. There's not a lot of, not what there used to be of people going in there ready to serve the country and all that. So, uh, you know, uh, the one thing on that um, is that, and oh man, the military people listen to this, please forgive me if I don't get this <laughs> stated correctly, that we have now the largest voluntary fighting force, meaning people are volunteering to enlist and stuff versus drafts and all. So, um, there's, you know, there's still 
the strong side of society that says, I'm going to protect what's valuable here and be in our military and our law enforcement. So what did that book Killing say, though? It said that the generations were softer, got harder, and then get soft again. No, it, it ended uh, just after Vietnam. I think uh, the book's been out as long as I've been a cop. So um, towards Vietnam, they realized people were easy, had an easier time at shooting someone directly than they did. And I don't remember where it started, uh, if it started the Civil War or some of the wars prior to that. I can't remember where the book started now, but uh, they looked and the ability through the years uh, of people being able to put bullets on target got easier as the years went on. But some of that was predicated on how the military started training as well. So huh. more realistic human-shaped targets and stuff like that. That sounds so, like a good book. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. The psychology of, uh, you know, if you and I were to sit here and be totally honest, I don't want to hurt anybody. Right. I don't want anybody hurt me or my family. I don't want to hurt anybody. I'd rather be nice to somebody. So I think human the majority of human nature would say, hey, we just want to get along. So it's a heck of a thing to think that, psychologically we could get to the point where we uh, could just easily do that i guess yeah um because i think you're right i think humans generally are born without without that they humans i think naturally want to help each other want to love don't want to hurt anybody and i think uh it's pretty cool though that with everything you've seen i mean i know you personally you're 100 percent uh oh how do i word it you can turn it all off, though, at the end of the day, and you can still go on and live a normal life, and you still see the good in people. That's pretty insane. I mean, from all the terribly nightmarish things you've seen and all the people, it's not all nightmares being a cop, all the people you've saved and helped. I mean, you, I'm sure you can think of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of lives that you've saved or changed for the better, for sure. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, for me personally, I appreciate the, the kind words there, but uh, I think for me personally, faith has a lot to do with it um, for me. Right. And um, so my faith um, has carried me through a lot of that on how I perceive people and that all people, uh, you know, the greatest commandment given was uh, love God with all your heart, soul and mind to love each other. So if we if we just adhere to that, you know, and love each other. You know, it doesn't mean we're all going around hugging each other, I guess. But if you respect people and, you know, somebody cuts you off, hey, give them space, let them go, you know, not that big a hurry or, you know, do kind things for people or just be tolerant. Think how much different this world would be. Right. You know? Yeah, you look in the jail where people have dealt with on the street and, you know, they're drunk, they're intoxicated, uh, you know, they're being just foul-mouthed or insulting you. Um, you know, they're just, they're giving you a hard time. And you're thinking I'm running out of patience. Professionally, I have to deal with this and just accept it. But then you think, well, two things for one, when you see them sober, they're usually great, nice people, which is unfortunate. So you got to keep that in the back of your mind. But also that person, we don't know where they're coming from. They could have had a horrible child. Uh, hood. They could have been molested. They could have had abusive parents, drug addicted parents. Maybe we're in foster care. And if we could be a little empathetic and say, hey, I can see past the current behavior and maybe understand that because of their experiences in life, which doesn't excuse you. You're an adult. You should make adult choices and behavior, but maybe you can understand it a little bit and uh, cut somebody a break and I think we could get a little bit further in life if we just gave people a little bit of grace and a little bit of patience. 
Very well said. I agree with that 100%. That should be on a greeting card or something. Yeah. Right there. It should be a greeting card, but yeah. <laughs> It'd be a good greeting card. There you go. Well, we're about at the hour mark. Yeah, we went over to have everything on the list. Rock on. Yeah. Was there anything else you wanted to throw in there? Or? No, I just encourage anybody, if uh, you know they don't understand uh, about law enforcement, if they would like to uh, maybe talk to somebody and say, hey, why why do police officers do this? Why is there you know, this happening in our world with law enforcement? And if they want to try to understand that, maybe say, okay, I never realized that. That's very interesting. And, and we could uh, maybe take a step forward, uh, you know, call maybe a Lafayette Police Department, call uh, – the sheriff's office and say, have just a question for a law enforcement officer and uh, whether they get in touch with me or the sheriff or anyone else, it'd be nice. Maybe a, maybe a short conversation could get us um, a little bit further ahead in unity. And if anybody uh, wants to apply for law enforcement, um, we always are taking applications on the county website. They can submit a pre-application. So if you go to Tiffany County's uh, website and then under the Sheriff's Office, there's an employment tab. So I'd encourage if you have a desire to get law enforcement to apply. For sure. But, uh, but yeah, it's been a lot of fun talking to you. It was you excellent. Know, yeah, covered a lot of good stuff. So I really appreciate you taking the time to do it. Thanks for asking me. Hey, thanks again for sticking through another episode of Lafayette Connect. I hope you liked my uncle. I really enjoy conversations like these, and I really wanted to thank our police department and Andy specifically for making it happen. Being a police officer is a hell of a sacrifice, and I have so much respect for anyone doing it or pursuing it as a career. It's a crazy world out there, and cops are just the heroes that keep it as safe as possible. If you enjoyed the show, you can't wait for more. Or maybe you just want to nominate a business owner, a hero, a local savage, then me an email at in the description below. Thanks again, everybody, for listening.